All of the newest episodes of Note to Self are now available on the Luminary Podcast app. It's free to download, and you can also listen to other podcasts from WNYC Studios like Radiolab, Two Dope Queens, Snap Judgment, Here's the Thing with Alec Baldwin, and others. Luminary Premium is the only place where you can enjoy the entire new season of Note to Self, plus new original podcasts you won't find anywhere else from Trevor Noah, Roxanne Gay, Guy Raz, Lena Dunham, and many more. And you can enjoy them ad-free. Start your free trial by going to luminary.link slash note to self or download the Luminary app for free. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Hello, friend. This is an episode of Note to Self, but from when we used to be called New Tech City. Same good content, just the old name. Enjoy. From WNYC, this is New Tech City, where digital gets personal. I'm Manoush Zamarodi. Hi, Manoush and New Tech City. This is Amanda from D.C. And can I just say, I love getting voicemail these days because they have been juicy. I feel a little bit crazy because I have noticed that I pick up my phone when I'm just walking from one room to another getting on the elevator and even, and this is the part that I am really embarrassed to actually say out loud, in the car. And it's shown me exactly how much I really need this. So thanks. The it that Amanda from DC is referring to is the Bored and Brilliant Project, which we have just wrapped up. This is the first of two episodes looking at exactly what we accomplished, if anything, with our little experiment to rethink how we use our phones and kickstart our creativity. If this is the first time that you're hearing about the project, here's a quick recap. We asked you to observe your phone behavior and download apps that monitored how much time you spent on your phone. And then for one week, you got a daily challenge to keep your phone in your pocket, to take no photos, to delete an app. And at the end of the week, you got creative assignments. Look, the gist of Bored and Brilliant was to see if we could bring back some of the quiet, reflective time that so many of us feel like our gadgets have disrupted. Over 18,000 people signed up for Bored and Brilliant. And the feedback that we've gotten all along has been so incredibly moving. I did not expect to start tearing up whenever I read the comments section. And wow, certain challenges really spoke to people. Hi, everybody. My name is Hadi Mendez, and I currently work and live in Cochabamba, Bolivia, as a lay missioner. The best challenge for me was turning off alerts on my device. It's been hard to go to my phone and not have any notifications waiting for me. Sometimes I feel, what, nobody loves me? But I've come to realize that not worrying about those notifications allows me to be more present. And I need to be more present in the work that I do. My name is Annie Foe, and I live in Chicago. I have over a thousand photos on my phone that I actually don't even go back and look at. So doing that challenge made me reevaluate how much I use my camera and also just whether I really remember things or not because I'm creating a barrier between, you know, my reality and (laughs) my cell phone. This is Liam in Los Angeles, and I deleted Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Tumblr, Snapchat, and Vine from my phone in one fell swoop. 
and it was kind of an embarrassingly emotional experience at first. It felt weirdly lonely to look at that lock screen with no new notifications on it, but I really like deciding for myself when to think about or access my social networks, not giving my phone the power to decide that for me. So thank you. Liam, such an extremist. Okay, love it. So many of you feel like the challenges had an effect, that they changed your behavior. But what do the data say? To make some sense of it all and figure out where we go from here, Malia Mason is a cognitive psychologist and associate professor of management at Columbia Business School. She studies how competing motives shape our judgments, our choices. She's also done research on mind-wandering. Hi, Malia. Hello. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad you're here. And Golden Krishna designs technology and user experience. He was at Samsung. Now he's at Zappos and has a book coming out called The Best Interface is No Interface. And he's going to help us try and figure out how we can make technology work better for us. Hi, Golden. Hi. Great to be here. Okay. So when we started this project, we learned that our group was spending about two hours a day on their phone. So two hours was our baseline. Then over the course of Challenge Week, our group did check their phones fewer times each day, and they did spend fewer minutes on their phone. Not by a lot, but the average decrease was six fewer minutes and one less pickup. So, Malia, what's your reaction to this? Is there any real meaning here? First of all, I think this initiative is incredibly ambitious. Um, it typically takes a lot of time to analyze the kind of data that you guys collected. So it's not clear to me that, you know, six minutes isn't meaningful. And I personally believe that there's a meaningful data point in what you guys have done here, and that's just the enthusiasm people have for the initiative. I think that in and of itself is is meaningful. I think that is a sign of the times. I think many people feel like um, they're not sort of managing their discretionary time in the way they want to, and that kind of technology is is making this problem more difficult. What I found so interesting was from a voluntary survey that we did at the end, and those I just got those numbers, about 65% of the people felt that they had somewhat cut down on their phone use. So even if the numbers didn't show it, perception-wise, they felt that way. And this one is particularly interesting. Almost 90% of them felt somewhat or very confident that they could alter their future phone use habits. Um, this is something that they're continuing to think about. So let's go to Golden. You're the technologist here, Golden. Yes. I want to get your thoughts on this next participant's experience. Let me just play this for you. Hi, I'm Liza McCarthy, and I live in Croton-on-Hudson, New York. I've done all the challenges, and some were quite hard. For instance, deleting the Twitter app was very sad. And I feel I may be, over the last year when I've been on Twitter, have developed an addiction to it. And this boredom brilliant challenge has really made me realize it. After a brief period of really horrible withdrawal feeling, like lack of caffeine headache, I now feel lovely, had a lovely dinner with my family, and I hope to continue this structured use of these powerful tools. I love that she had like withdrawal feelings like a caffeine headache. So talk to me, Golden. How does is this what the technology companies want to have this sort of visceral feeling to have us, the people who use their products, have this this sort of physical reaction? It's crazy. And for some services, sadly, the answer is yes. I mean, there's an old joke that there's only two kinds of businesses that call their customers users. 
people who make technology and drug dealers. And <laughs> what's sad about it is that it used to be a joke, and now it's becoming more and more of a reality to get people more and more addicted to technology. And is that simply because that that's the way that the business is set up, that without getting people's eyeballs, they simply can't pay for their product? Or is it something more cynical? Yeah, I mean, what's unfortunate is we've kind of fallen on this default business model and technology of selling advertising. And so you're seeing this groundswelling of young, talented designers getting pulled into these big name companies and getting thrown into problems, not around making your life more elegant or bringing joy to your everyday, but rather figuring out ways to get customers or users more addicted to their services. So mm -hmm. it becomes less of how do we tackle this core thing, but rather if we add this one feature, could we get people to spend 10, 20 minutes more time on our service. And Malia, when you he are hearing Golden sort of explain what their motive is, from a cognitive psychologist's point of view, what are you thinking? How do you explain that people decide to spend their time there? Or, or are they not deciding for themselves? So we kind of did a study that parallels what you guys did on the phones with undergrads on their computers. So we have about 150 undergrads who agreed to letting us download software that's called Rescue Time onto their computers. And the software tracks how long they're on their computers. We know when they got on their computers. We know how they switch among activities. Um, so we know this for several months of time. Yeah, and, and your goal was to discover how they were using that time because this was a group that was spending about 25 minutes a day on Facebook. They knew they were spending 25 minutes a day on Facebook and they told you that they wanted to cut down on Facebook. And still, they didn't. I, I think that people don't realize that their discretionary time is actually quite limited. They lose sight of the fact that there are other activities that they really care about and they have other goals and aspirations because if this is a motivational issue, you have two choices. You either have to get people to like social media less or you have to remind them that actually there are some other things that they really care about and want to do with their time. Um, it's just in the moment, I think they lose sight of that completely. Yeah. I mean, at the risk of being dark, I feel like, you know... You tweet and then you die, basically, right? <laughs> I mean, who's going to wake up on their deathbed and say, I, I, I only spent two years of my life on Facebook? Two years? <laughs> I'm not. Is that what it's well, going to add up to? 25 minutes a day on Facebook is like two years of your life. I mean, really. Um, I just don't think people get it. In a minute, what we can do with what we've learned from the Bored and Brilliant Project Will offices start having new tech-free days? Are you and I at the forefront of a new movement to make technology companies truly kinder? What the cognitive psychologist and the technologist think that the future holds. That's what's coming up. So far, my time hasn't gone down as much as I'd like, but I definitely feel like I'm using it more intentionally. I don't have that guilty gut feeling I'll have when I know I'm wasting time on my phone. And I've been pleasantly surprised how easy it's been to cut out some of the fluff when I go into the day with the intention of doing it. Maybe I'll have to start giving myself little challenges and reminders like this every morning. Hey, New Tech City. My name is Eric O'Rafferty, and I'm from Altadena, California. 
The delete that app challenge seemed really daunting to me at first. How could I stop using Twitter? Then I realized that I didn't have to give it up forever. As you suggested, I could just stop using it for a day. So I did. And it ended up being a lot easier than I thought. I made it through the whole day, and I actually enjoyed things much better that day. So I've decided to go ahead and do this every week now. We're back. I'm Anoush Samarodi. This is New Tech City, and we're looking at results from the Bored and Brilliant Project with cognitive psychologist Malia Mason and tech designer Golden Krishna. And guys, hundreds of people who we surveyed say that they are going to keep going with at least one of the challenges, that they're going to use it to sort of set rules for themselves. And I thought this was so interesting. The people who said that games were among their top three apps, they dropped the most minutes. Those gamers cut down more than 20 minutes per day, and I can include myself in that group. So, Golden, I want to share um, this story from a New Yorker. Her name is Lisa Alpert. And um, here's what happened when she put away her phone during her subway commute. I was bored, I guess. So I suddenly looked at the stairway that went up to the top of the station. And I thought, you know, I've just come down that stairway, but I could go back up and then come back down and get a little cardio. So I did. And then I had a little more time, so I did it again. And I did it again, and I did it 10 times. And I had a complete cardio workout. I got on that R train feeling kind of exhausted, but like, wow, that had never occurred to me. How is that possible? So guys, what I love about Lisa's story is that she completely rethought the use of something, the stairs that she uses every day, like totally brilliant, slightly neurotic, but definitely brilliant, right? So I mean, that I'm just throwing this out there. Do we have to kind of be like Lisa, that there are things around us that we don't even think are going to be part of our future technological landscape? Yeah, I think that story is, is incredible because it's the kind of thing that happens and that can happen when we spend less and less time with technology, right? Well, we've been stuck in a, a standard process in tech. What commonly occurs in a technology company is they go to a whiteboard, a team of people sit around, and they draw a rectangle representing a screen. And they start asking questions like, where does the logo go? How does the navigation look? And they don't really think about solving the problem in the best way it can be solved. Rather, how can this screen solve this problem? I mean, what I noticed during this week of challenges was that screens were being put in my face everywhere I went, in the back of the taxi cab, on the subway platform, in the elevator, even on the sidewalk. There was a billboard that was a screen. And I I felt, I mean, I kind of felt violated. Here was a week that I was trying to get away from my screen. And, and if I wasn't putting it in my face, then other people were. Part of what I'm describing, this screenless world, is actually based on some work that people were doing really early on when they saw personal computers. Actually, in the group Xerox Park, which made the first graphical user interface, the, the model of how we use computers today, they were also thinking about some of the side effects. And there was a guy named Mark Weiser there who described something he called calm technology, which is technology that just happens and works in the background. And there's something really fascinating about that today because we're finally starting to get to the point where our computers can do that. Whether it's the sensor technology inside your phone that's adapting to your surroundings, there are now some startups who are working on door locks that unlock when you approach your door because the Bluetooth from your pocket talks to the door lock. 
And the phone just stays in your pocket, which is actually one of the primary goals of a lot of these bored and brilliant participants. Yeah, I mean, it kind of just to sort of wrap it up here. I mean, Golden, one of the things that I think we've done with the project is we've sort of tapped into a sentiment, you know, granted, this is a, a, a small group, but a sentiment that I think should maybe alarm technology makers that there is a subset of the population that is, you know, they're not just dissatisfied, they're they're angry in some cases. They're upset with what is happening to their lives. Is there something that people who've done the project could say or should do? Yeah, I mean, sure. I think a lot of a huge part of the problem is that this is an irrational addiction. I mean, our our rational minds look at look at the problem and say, "Oh my God, I'm spending so much time on Facebook, or I'm spending so much time on Twitter." But our irrational emotional motivations. We still pull out our phone and we still look at it. We know that it's a problem. Samalia, what do you think after hearing all of this and taking into account your own research? I want my technology to give me time to think. And I think if there's, you know, another challenge that you guys could have, it might be doing something like get an alarm clock. I myself put my phone by the bed stand and use it as an alarm clock. And then the first thing I do when I wake up is I roll over and check my email or check my texter and... You know, it's very common for people to say they have insights when they first wake up or when they're just falling asleep. Mm. So if you're trying to get people to go from being bored to brilliant, why not target the times, the moments where brilliance actually happens? And I actually that's what I love about your commuting challenge is that often people say that when they're walking, when they're on public transportation, that's when they have brilliant moments. And it's like sad to think of like that not living up to your potential, essentially, because you were looking at your phone. But I don't think it's all that hard, and and that's what's great about this. I think with small adjustments, people can be more effective. Professor Malia Mason, Golden Krishna, who's author of The Best Interface is No Interface. I want to thank you both so much for joining us from San Francisco. Really grateful to you. Thank you so much. Thank you. If you skipped some of the challenges or you're new to the show, you can do the Bored and Brilliant Project anytime. We are packaging it up so classrooms, offices, and friends can do it together if they didn't get in on it the first time. Just go to our podcast feed on any podcasting app and scroll up a little bit. Or, of course, you can get it online at newtechcity.org slash board. Or on Facebook, where we've started a Bored and Brilliant group for people who want to keep this thing going. Yeah, I know, I know, irony, blah, blah, blah. But look, a lot of you asked for it. We're here to serve. Next week, the last loose ends of the project get tied up. Nina Kachadorian, the amazing and funny artist who came up with the final creative assignment, comes back for a visit. She weighs in on the dream houses that hundreds of you built using just the contents of your wallet. I'm also going to be picking up the phone and calling some of you, so get ready for that. Please share this podcast with someone who you think deserves some time to think big thoughts. Tell them in person, or you can tag them on Facebook, whatever. We are building something here with your help. We leave you now with some of the beautiful recordings that you sent us on challenge day number five. It was, you'll remember, one small observation. Thank you so much for sending these in. They're really gorgeous. I'm Anoush Samarodi, and this is New Tech City. I noticed down a side street about halfway down the block a young man standing on the sidewalk in front of a house whipping around nunchucks. So I really noticed how much sunlight there is left in the sky at 545. Even though I'm surrounded by snow, the days are getting longer. 
and he grabbed his fish and chips with one hand and pulled a pepper grinder out of his pocket, ground some pepper onto his fish and chips, and then put it back into his pocket. There were so many worms out on the walkway on our campus. It made me want to rescue them. I wanted to say, go back into the dirt. So I saw a couple of instances of ye old plumber's butt in the airport today. This is Jamie Barker down in San Antonio, Texas, and I'm listening to the band play and watching people dance at Beethoven Beer Garden. And I'm noticing that old men never get too old to look at pretty girls. 